Okay, welcome. So today I want to share some of my experiences of being a novice Buddhist monk from the age of 26 through till just before my 30th birthday. I spent three and a half years in a Buddhist monastery. Today I want to talk about why I decided to go there. What did I learn and some of the good things and some of the really challenging things about monastic life. Okay. So if you've been watching my videos for a while, you notice that at the beginning I always put my hands together and this is known as Anjali in Buddhism and it's like a, a sign of respect and I just got used to that during my time as a, as a monk. Now the first question I really want to answer is why did I do this? Why did I become a Buddhist monk? And I was a novice Buddhist monk, it was in the Thai forest tradition, so based in the forests of Thailand, although I was actually stationed um, here in the UK. And it was an, a lineage which was connected to these temples which had been going for um, I think basically since the 60s and 70s where Westerners had set up these, uh, these monasteries, these branch monasteries. So why did I do it? I was basically a mess. As you know, my work is a lot around trauma. Well, if you don't know, it's around trauma and also boarding school syndrome. And essentially, I had worked in the city. I had worked... Uh, in finances, in sales, and I'd had a breakdown. And essentially I'd been homeless for a time, then I went to Africa. While I was there, I realized I was really mentally unwell. And I knew that I needed something. I knew that I needed to get away for a break, like a retreat, but where I could work and I'd get my board and lodgings. I didn't have a lot of funds in order to be able to, to do this. So I basically set this intention and I was at a retreat center at the time and I met an ex-monk who had lived in this tradition and he gave me some contact details. And so I wrote to a few of the, uh, the monasteries. One of them were looking for a kitchen manager. And so I went and I went to to help out for a couple of weeks. I took two bags with me and you know at the end of that time I'd been offered a position. I'd been in Africa working as an assistant manager for a, um, a volunteer organization and I'd been offered a full manager's role in Thailand and I said give me a couple of weeks I'll do my retreat and then I'll make a decision. During those two weeks I realized how mentally unwell I was. I was really deeply disturbed and I didn't realize it till really I was there. And it felt for me very much like coming back home. I mean, partly because the monastery felt very much like boarding school. You know, there was the strict routines, but the difference for me was that there was this community who was supporting me. At boarding school, it was very much dog eat dog. You know, you're just left to get on with your own devices. Whereas in the monastery, there were monks, <clears throat> there were lay people, 
There were therapists around the monastery who were so supportive. So that was why I went. And essentially, I just went for two weeks. Then after realising what a mess I was, I decided to take the role of the office manager. And I did this office manager's role for a year. And after I'd been there for about three or four months, I was like, I wasn't a monk. And I was like, oh, why didn't I become a novice? You know, it was called Anagarika, which they were white. You would see the photo, this video, that is me in white, aged about 28, 29. And I decided to ordain as a, a novice Buddhist monk. And what would happen is each year I would finish my year and then it was like, do I stay? And because I was really, you know, essentially I went through a breakdown and I'll go into more detail about that. But each year I would just do another year, do another year. At the end of three and a half years, the abbot said to me, what do you think about staying? And I didn't know, yes or no. And he asked for a reply within a certain time, seven days. And because I didn't know, I just said, I'm going to say I'm leaving. So that's why I stayed for the, the time I did. So that's why why I went. Um, essentially, I was an addict as well. Addict to pornography, to, uh, to drink, to drugs. And, you know, th this was 2002 when I went. And it has now been 21 years since I've looked at, um, you know, had it taken any drugs, uh, recreational drugs, or had a drink. Um, it's been about 10 years with pornography. So, you know, that was what I was bringing there. That's why I did it. So what did I learn? What did I learn about being in the monastery? I mean, first of all, I mean, what was the day-to-day -day life like? It was, you know, getting up at quarter to five, five o'clock, meditation from 5.30 till 6.30, chores from 6.30 till seven, and then we'd have breakfast at seven o'clock. Eight o'clock would be work and through till 11 when we would have lunch. And that was the last meal of the day. So we'd have breakfast at seven and then our main meal was at 11 o'clock. So we had to finish eating by midday in winter and by uh, one o'clock in summertime. So because of British summertime. And so essentially one of the things was I lost about a, a stone and a half in weight. I remember measuring myself and my trousers were falling down and suddenly it was like, oh, wow, OK, <laughs> and I've lost a lot of weight. So I went down to about nine and a half stone. So it was about 11 stone when I arrived. Um, so the routine, then lunch, then we'd wash up after lunch. and We'd usually have a break for a couple of hours. There were certain times when we would work in the afternoon, maybe one o'clock, two o'clock through till about five. Most of the time, the afternoon was free. So I used to walk. I used to uh, do creativity. I used to um, do Qigong or Tai Chi, uh, do things like that, or yoga. Then at five o'clock till seven was usually a time where if you were on duty, you would need to answer the phone. 
uh, answer emails, things like that. Seven o'clock was meditation through till about quarter to nine. We also did chanting and then about 10 o'clock I'd go to bed. Um, so that was the daily routine. And, you know, you had certain quiet days where you would like a Monday or the oppositor day, which was the, the moon day, meaning when it was full or half moon, no full full moon or um, I've forgotten. <laughs> oh, there you go. So basically moon days and that would be every um, every week we would have these days and during that we'd have no work period in the morning. Um, sometimes because I was the kitchen manager after a year then I would often work on that day. So that was the routine. Then in winter time we did have a, a winter retreat for two months. I'll come back to that. I found the winter retreats very very difficult. You know because of my trauma I needed to be doing stuff and in the silence you know out of the three and a half years I was there spent about six months in silence uh, so it'd be one week during the winter would be on silence and then one week off and then so we'd spend about four weeks I think four to eight no it was eight weeks a year in silence that was the daily routine and obviously during winter retreats the routine was a lot less um, strict. Obviously, I was cooking, so I still did quite a lot of work during the winter retreat. Yeah, so what what was really good about the monastery? What did I, you know, what was good was, you know, the monks, the support. Um, you know, there was lay people there. There was people I could speak to. Really, I didn't feel like I was alone. Um it also felt like a safe place the first time in my life. I suddenly felt like I had this safe container around me. I'd been so traumatized by life and experiences, losing friends, uh, trying to commit suicide, uh, you know, addictions, that it suddenly felt like I could fall apart. And that was also the difficult thing, was becoming very suicidal while I was at the monastery, uh, becoming... Um, I self-harmed, so I used knives, uh, I used to punch walls, um, you probably can vaguely see, but this, I don't, no longer have the knuckle here because I punched a, uh, a wall. Um, I went to A&E four times for self-harming. Um, I have scars on my wrists here from cutting myself with knives. Uh, so that was the, the, the difficult side of things. Um, Another positive good thing was, yeah, I had some real spiritual awakenings. Um, a bit like what Eckhart Tolle talks about, about this real awakening, seeing the universe and, you know, really feeling presence. And it was mind-blowing, you know, powerful to, to have that experience. And the flip side was that it was very, very dark. So the, 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 the negatives was it felt like for me I was going cold turkey on life. You know, I'd been basically always on the go, always doing, um, had so many negative behaviours, so critical of myself, that that inner critic externalised itself. So it's almost like in Fight Club, where uh, Tyler Durden is fighting 
with the, the, the main character and it's in his head. That's essentially what I was doing. I remember watching as a group of monks once a year, we watched a film and we watched Lord of the Rings. And the character that I could resonate most with was Gollum. That battle between the two of them, you know, the two parts of Gollum. And I was like, that's where I was at. I was Gollum, essentially. Um, the winter retreat, very difficult. I used to think I was going insane um, when I was there like voices in my head, um, you know, because of the trauma I'd experienced spending long times in silence on my own. It was just me and the devil. It was like really, really difficult, real struggle. Um, and then, yeah, another thing which was really difficult while I was there was the self-harming. And um, yeah, what happened is, you know, I started to cry for the first time and if I say what did I learn that was one of the things was the unconscious work I worked with a Jungian analyst who was a, a supporter of the monastery used to go up to visit her it was about a seven hour return journey and then I would do three or four hours of therapy with her I would also write my dreams down every night and I found for the first time in my life I could connect to my emotions because I was really feeling my dreams and it was like a, a dam burst and suddenly the tears came. And I mean, it was so difficult. I was having a discussion with someone today about it who used to be a monk who I'm interviewing in a few weeks. And he was like, wow, what you've been through. And, and I was just saying to him, it, most people don't understand how difficult being a Buddhist monk is. Especially if you're bringing a lot of trauma to it, and and I was, and yeah, it was like it was like hell to be honest. Sometimes for about two years, um, and then I started to come out the other side. Um, but it was so hard, so difficult. And you could ask, why didn't I leave? Why didn't I leave this place that was so difficult? And reality was that. I'd cut my ties with my family. I wasn't talking to them because of the trauma of boarding school and what happened. So I wasn't speaking to them. I had nowhere to go to. I wasn't really talking to friends either. And it really felt like I couldn't leave. The only place I could stay was there. Um, so, yeah. So I learned that. That was one of the key teachings with the unconscious that Often with trauma is we try and talk things through. And as soon as I started to explore the unconscious, started to, you know, go into my internal world. It was like rather than it being someone telling me something, suddenly it was me telling me. And it was like my dreams. Oh, my God, I'm this tyrant. I'm trying to kill myself. I'm slitting my wrist. I'm hurting myself. And so that the unconscious suddenly it was like the floodgates open that's when I started to really heal so that was the unconscious second thing I learned was letting go of getting my own way I was so controlling it was like this again it's a trauma thing is trying to control everything and I found that I just had this insight one day and it was like 
I let go of getting my own way. It was just like bliss. It was like, wow, I don't need to worry about anything anymore. I can just let go of getting my own way. And it was beautiful. That was one of the key teachings. Second, third thing was around creativity. It was that importance of writing, of painting, of drawing. I couldn't sing, but I could chant. We were allowed to chant, and I loved the chanting, that resonating of Your soul, Bhagavadam, Sama, Sambodo. Just being able to intone, that was just really, really lovely. So that creativity, that's another thing I really learned. The fourth thing was around um, community, that I tried to do everything on my own. I'd learnt at school to just be my own, you know, take do everything myself. And suddenly I had people to speak to. In the beginning, the abbot said to me, come and see me. Just come and speak to me. I wouldn't do it because it was all I could. It was all about. I had to do this on my own. And one day after I tried to commit suicide, it was like, no, come on, I'm going to go and see him. And I started to grieve and cry. And it felt lovely to have a benevolent man there supporting me. The first benevolent man I'd ever had in my life. Yeah, so that was another thing, just having that community there. And then the, the final thing I mean, I've shared a bit is the routine. And the reason I think the routine is such a key thing, and this is one of the key things I teach my clients, is one is routine, the other is the unconscious work. I use EFT, matrix re-imprinting. But this idea of routine is that when we create that structure, then, you know, as the abbot used to say, he says, when you, you have the structure and you stick to it, that's the, the, the form you get up this time. Says the difficult stuff like celibacy. So I was celibate um, for the three and a half years. So that meant no sexual contact with myself or with another person. You know, um, we weren't allowed to watch uh, TV or the internet. Um, we were allowed to read. We were allowed to work. We were allowed to meditate, exercise. But there was very few other things we were really allowed to do. Um, you know. You know, if I wanted to go into town, I had to ask permission. It was very much, right, this is my training, my training. So that final aspect of the routine, when we take care of the daily routine that I suggest that we all do is get up, do your meditation every day, your gratitude, do your exercise. When you take care of that, then the trauma can start to heal then you start to feel like a safe space, then you can start to let go. And I think for us as trauma survivors, we're holding on like that. We just won't let go. And actually when we have that safe space, we can start to grieve. We can acknowledge the trauma we've been through and then we can move on. So yeah, so that was my experience. Uh, of being a, a novice Buddhist monk. It was totally transformational. I went in a wreck and I came out. You know, I was still very delicate coming out. And, you know, I, I won't go into any more depth now because I'm up to 20 minutes. But 
know, if you want me to talk more about these experiences, then um, I will of what it was like, the transition of going back into the outside world after around, over a thousand days in a, in a monastery. So, um, yeah, I hope this is, um, this is helpful. Just, I've not really shared this side of myself, but it's so important to who I am today is going through that deep, dark challenge and then coming out the other side. Um, and I'm actually going off next week to have a retreat there. So I'm, I'm excited uh, to be going back there. So bless you.